Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello and welcome to another Olo Live podcast session distributed by the Headliner Magazine UK. In this one, we have two really cool guests, Lawrence Ibiancardi, a UK-based uh, mixing and mastering uh, engineer who is also a tutor at the ACM Guildford. And on the other side, we'll have Adam Mosley, his mentor. And Adam is a renowned uh, well engineer, worked with Roxette, U2, you know, the list is very extensive. And he was, and still is to an extent, a mentor to Lawrence. So we'll be exploring the roles of educators in a modern audio industry when, you know, everything is available online. Hello to you guys. Hey, how are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm very excited uh, well, to, to do this with you guys, especially, uh, you know, when we have such a master engineer as Adam Mosley mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, you know, working with the Cure, Kale, Keys, Rush, U2. I mean, the list goes on. That's pretty impressive. And then we have, you know, the product of uh, his will to give back to the community. We have Lawrence here, a student. And I'm very eager to find out how you guys met and how you guys started, uh, you know, working in this kind of relationship, I guess. Is it a relationship between a mentor and a student? Oh, yeah. Maybe, Adam, you can start? Yeah, definitely. It it should be a friendship. Um, The the (laughs) the things are better if you actually like each other and enjoy talking to each other. yeah, I mean, I mean, the way I I started out, I was, um, I was never re- really taught anything. I'd got into a studio as a chef and builder, construction worker, and then it was Trident Studios in Soho in 1978. Uh, it was fiercely competitive, but um, I worked my way up through the ranks. But in that era, the I got the opportunity. I was assisting Mike Stone for and going from bringing him cups of tea to assisting him and then engineering with him, engineering for him, mixing with him on major, major records. And Mike had worked on the first five Queen albums as well as Asia and Journey Escape album and just so, so much work. And I mean, I was in complete awe of him. Obviously, I was a 20-year-old. But there there was a friendship uh, that I hadn't expected to have and... It, it it was amazing. I, I, I wish I had understood then what I understood even just a few more years later. I would have been able to take much, much more from it because everything was so new. But I really think, um, I, I think mentoring is an incredibly important part of anyone's journey. And it well, exactly as you said, like the giving back. Um, when I started out, everyone was so fiercely competitive and people wouldn't talk to each other because you were all fighting for the same projects and so on. And now there's just such a joy between all of us from that time that we're still here, that we're still making music, that we talk to each other, we really enjoy each other's successes. But yeah, in terms of the mental role, um, it's music. We're making music. It should be fun. If it's not fun, you need to be doing something else. And if you're not enjoying the people that you're involved with or working with, then you have to change those people because 
the work is hard enough, the job is hard enough, um, there's often enough pressure or budget or expectation uh, on you without having to deal with personalities that you don't um, enjoy seeing every day. So, Adam, you mentioned competitiveness right there with, you know, back in the days. But I think, Lawrence, you would agree that it's very competitive today as well, right? So is there like a, a mind shift or is it a culture shift that, you know, mentorships is like more acceptable or, you know, maybe just mentors are more open than they were back in the days? How do you experience that, Lawrence? Um, yeah, I mean, I think today you obviously have a lot of easy ways to connect with people. And even though Adam is in L.A., um, and I'm in the UK, we're able to connect regularly on Instagram and chat. Um, so it's very easy in that way. And there are other producers and other engineers that I speak to too, who I'm able to connect with regularly, who I've never met, you know, from other countries. Mm. And, it, and that's everything to me, really, because if I've ever got any questions with certain things, I can ask those people directly, you know, where, whereas if we didn't have that, I think it'd be, You know, I'd have to be working in a studio environment where I think it would be a bit trickier. You know, you don't want to ask those questions that may <laughs> make you seem. I mean, Adam, have, did you ever experience that? Or have any other oh, people? Yeah, uh, absolutely. The wildest thing was that if you asked a question, it revealed that you didn't know something. Um, to which normally the response would be from the producer or the engineer, if they weren't that friendly, would be, If you don't know how to do that, get me someone who does. So you would then have to make the phone call to call someone else in the building to come in and take your job, who'd give you a nice little shoulder bump as, as you walked out the door and probably out the building and someone else was in your seat. So it, it was a really strange environment. And I mean, we'll get to other things, but now it's so different. People's approach is different. There is so much information out there. You know, back, th back then we were just meant to watch, listen, don't talk and try and figure out what was going on. And that was generally how we learned. So th there is this phrase, the T-boy, right? Mm -hmm. So is, is this still, still alive? You know, Adam, you have a studio, right? It's, mm -hmm. uh, we can see your control room right there. And earlier when we started, it showed, showed me around the recording room and piano room and so on. So do you still have T-Boys? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's the best way to learn. Um, I had a... I, we're set up in Silver Lake, and I had a big professional studio going in, in a separate building. It was called The Boat. Uh, we had George Martin's original Neve console from 1969 that Rupert Neve had built for him. It was beautiful. And although here it's called Runner rather than... T-Boy, um, and the intern system in the US is very, very big as well. So either there I would have interns, I'd try them out. They would have to start as runners. They'd have to fetch food. They'd have to make tea, make sure the artist was being looked after. They'd have to clean the bathroom if, you know, which it would need to be done. And they knew that I, they were never being asked to do anything that I hadn't done myself, you know, um, So even even in the studio, which is now set up in my house, yeah, I had uh, and have interns and um, they become assistants. I've got a second rig 
in the room here. There's a second table. There's also a third wig in the house. Um, but the assistant has his own table in my room to be editing or can go and edit in the other one. But yeah, they, they start as an intern. If it works out, um, then they get hired to, to stay on and move on. Yeah, so Lawrence, in your case, what was your journey, right? So, uh, I mean, technically, I worked at a studio um, engineering, um, but I didn't, I would, I didn't, luckily, I didn't go into the T boy role. I went straight into engineering, uh, which was quite amazing, you know. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. Um, and, but I also studied music production too. So I did a, a diploma and a degree in it. And while I was doing that, I was taking on small jobs through friends of friends and mm -hmm. mutual friends. Um, and just, you know, just taking on what I could, saying I could do the job, even though I basically had very little experience. Mm -hmm. and, and that's that's half the battle, you know, and then you have experience to take to the next person. And that's so exactly that, that's that's a very solid and great point, right? Confidence mm -hmm. in, in mm -hmm. well, not just in music industry anywhere, I guess. Right, so. Here's my question, since I have two very uh, unique uh, guests, right? So, Lawrence, does Adam play any role in building your own confidence when you're, you know, doing what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, when I first properly met Adam, I came to his uh, studio room and showed him a few tracks that I was working on. And at the time, I didn't really know much about mixing and mastering. And I, at the time, it wasn't essentially something... I knew enough about to be interested in it, you know. I was just mm. trying to make tracks thinking I was going to take over the world with my music. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Adam, quite rightly, in a very nice and careful way, pointed out, I mean, they were probably terrible, but he pointed out, <laughs> you know, things that were um, important and that actually did inspire me quite a lot to start taking notice of it and understanding about it. But I think someone first has to plant that seed and and show you, what these things are in order for you to even recognize them and develop an ear for it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, but there's also um, another layer when it comes to, you know, relationships or just the role of, a, of an educator. You need to have the skill set, obviously. You need to have the technical skill set, but you also need to have the, the feel for, you know, human for people skills basically right you, you need to be able to convey your message mm -hmm. your your thoughts and and stuff like that so adam how did you approach that is that just something you you have it in you since you know since ever or did you maybe struggle with it a little bit as you progressed and, and find your own um, you know learning path to hmm. um Yeah, when I started out, I mean, I got into this incredible studio and I, when I was 20 years old. You know, I was just still a kid, really. And I was very shy. I was very quiet. Um, but I realized pretty quickly the most important thing was don't screw up. Um, and learn as much as you can and put as much effort as you can. Because, as I said, it was very competitive as well. Um, and... I think one one of the most important things for anyone um, trying to enter any business, but I think especially our world, um, is to be politely persistent. Um, you and 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 it's really important. You know, I have people who bug me, you know, constantly with things, and sometimes it can be, you know, a bit 
abrupt or a bit rude. Uh, I've lived in the US for 25 years, but I'm still very British in terms of how to be polite. Um, and then I've got other people, like with my students, sometimes, you know, students will come to the class because they couldn't get in. And they'll turn up to the first class and ask if it's at all possible. If they do that, they're in. Because that is the most important thing, is to want it enough to actually turn up. Um, and others might just send me loads and loads of emails but not show up. Um, and they, they may not get in if, they, if it's too pushy. It's a fine balance. And how do you determine that? You just have to learn by trial and error. Well, that that kind of answers the maybe a little bit pro- provocative question, right? What, what comes first? Is, is hard work really first or is talent first? What's the story behind it? I mean, that's something that, you know, any show business uh, will kind of struggle. You know, how much value do you give into a talent and how much effort do you put into a hard work and I'm sure Adam you've met students that were brilliant but they didn't have the work ethic mm. and you probably had students that are you know really devoted but they just couldn't cut it on a you know musical level I guess so how would you approach or how did you approach kind of these situations you know how, how do you explain that in a polite way as you mentioned before um With, with with that side of it, um, it's also the same with an artist, I'll say. You know, I know we're talking more about education, but with an artist, it's exactly the same. Some artists may not be that great, but they can write a good pop tune and they think that they're the best thing ever. You know, other artists, sometimes, sometimes it's their insecurities which push them to do better, to do better. And in that respect, you've really got to find the balance between confidence with ego and also enough um, self-checking to want to do better and want to do better and to review. So in the artist thing, um, that's very relevant, as, as well with the student. But I really believe that if someone wants to do something, they can learn. Um, when I have a student or someone approach me to work with me or assist me, um, if it I, I can normally tell in terms of reading them as a person. If I feel they've got the fire, and then I know that pretty much they can be taught anything and that they will want to learn anything. If they're not interested, they're not going to learn. They're not going to be attentive. I'm going to be working. I'm going to turn around. They're going to be on their phone, you know, looking at TikTok or something. And if that's the instance, if they're not interested enough to be invested and to be in the room and realize the opportunity then boom, they're going to be gone because there's plenty of people that do want to really just soak up every moment. So, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. So, Lawrence, you you decided to, you know, go down this path of becoming audio producer, make a living by being in the audio industry. And I'm certain you've done a lot of research and you've had a massive amount of hours and you know, effort put uh, into, uh, what's the English expression, uh, teaching yourself, learning by yourself. Um, so is, is this something that you think can be like um, a massive differentiator between you and your peers who are competing for, you know, the same attention as you are? Yeah, I think, um, I think being curious is um a positive like a very big positive because 
um, if you're curious and you have interest in something, I think you naturally put in hard work, you know, and you're in the work is smart. If, if, if you want to say, you know, if you're, if you're determined and you enjoy something, you're going to spend countless hours doing it and you're not going to really think, Oh, someone owes me money for doing this, you know, because it's what you enjoy. It's your passion. It's your hobby. Mm. So I think by having that attitude, you're one, probably doing the right thing. And two, you're probably going to do well at it because you're spending a lot of time naturally trying to find out those answers and, and improve yourself, you know? Mm. But there's a role for a mentor as well in, in this scenario, right? When, you know, we go to school and we are not actually learning directly things there, but we are learning the methodology to, to basically learn as you go, right? Entering new worlds and new things. So I think Adam is probably somewhere in his career also trying to teach you guys not just the technical skills and, you know, music industry, but also how to progress through through your career you know like i'm sure adam now uses or understands at least our teachers probably dolby atmos and stuff like that right 20 years ago that was not there so you know there is a progression that everybody has to go through in order to just stay relevant so what is your role when it comes to you know transferring this knowledge and understanding that tomorrow will be different than it is today to 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 the young engineers like Lawrence? I, I think the important thing to realize is that um, for, for anyone starting to make music or engineer or produce or mix or do mastering um, today, um, you've got to be aware of what came before because everything is progression. Occasionally technology takes a huge leap. Sometimes it's just very small incrementally. And as you said, you have to stay current. You have to stay on top of things. Uh, when I started, technology meant learning how to turn the tape upside down and record things backwards, or how to how to compile vocals by spinning, you know, by playing your, your 24-track, bouncing it to a two-track, and then by hand playing it back in and punching into record and out record and slowly assembling. But that was that was mind-blowing that you could do that. You know, the, these days most people fall over when you tell them that's how we used to compile vocals. And then from about 1988, I was using Cubase uh, for MIDI. I set up a MIDI studio in my home to save on budget so I could be doing programming but not paying, you know, very large amounts of money per day to sit there and just work on a string arrangement or something. Uh, and I was using Cubase on an Atari 1040ST back in 1987-88 and, and worked on one of the biggest records I've ever, ever worked on, which was done on an Atari, which was uh, the Swedish band Roxette. Um, so, again, the technology is there. It's a tool that you apply, but you have to have the idea. And although there's loads and loads of softwares, and of course there are softwares which will write the song for you, at the moment, thankfully, it still needs human input and it needs human ideas. And the technology, until, until AI takes over, the technology is there to serve us, to help us achieve a goal. If you're doing a guitar overdub and... You want a guitar, so then you think, well, is it acoustic, is it electric? If it's acoustic, is it steel string, is it nylon string? If it's electric, is it a solid body Telecaster, or is it a Gretsch 
semi-hollow. You make these decisions. They're also like technology decisions because it's the technology of the instrument has changed with a different sound. So you have to have the idea, you have to have the awareness, you have to have the gut instinct to go for what feel, feels right and then you apply the technology. But it's very important to stay, you know, as I said, I, I've started in, in days when there were no plugins, no digital reverbs. We used to use the elevator shaft for a reverb or the staircase. You know, the stairwell we would use for reverb spaces, we had one echo plate. Um, so being aware of the old stuff, I think, enriches anyone anyone's experience in any art form. But then you want to put your own stamp on it, um, develop your own instincts and your own style, but constantly listen, constantly absorb um, and, ex and experiment. That is one of the most important things. But, but also realizing that your the technology is there to serve us and to be applied in achieving the idea or the gut instinct that you have that hasn't come into an idea yet. There is a nice twist to that, which is there is so much technology that it's basically noise, right? We have mm. a gazillion options in, in, in software especially, but even in hardware, there's, uh, Adam, you have right there, like uh, probably 30 or 40 preamps, right? So that introduces like noise into your thought train. Mm. What are you going to use? Why are you going to use it? And so on. So there must be a balance between, you know, the technology things, everything that is available, but it has to serve the idea. So Lawrence, when you are, you know, building your own studio, getting the experience that Adam now has and probably can pick one of those uh, preamps instantly and knowing why he did that, you have to build up to that. So how do you approach all this noise in the industry? and selecting, you know, the proper things for you? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it is trial and error. A lot of it is research, asking questions, um, trying out lots of things. I mean, luckily, we're, we're in that era where we have a lot of good hardware or software plug-in versions, right? So I've used a lot of UAD. Um, Adam got me onto Plugin Alliance. Adam's mm. actually cost me a lot of money, I think. But um, <laughs> we'll go into that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, it's fine. I won't hold it against you. No, but if anything, it's improved me, right? So that's good. But um, but yeah, so I mean, trying out all these plugins of, of hardware replicas, I've tried out a lot of different things. I've been in some studios. Um, I've researched, watched countless videos. There's so much content online on it. You, once you learn them, use them, try them, eventually I think you have to make a lot of errors and kind of go, well, I put the, the Poltec plug-in on everything. Why didn't it sound better? Because that's it costs this amount of money. Why didn't it sound better? And then you start learning the nuances. Maybe it's you know softening some of the transients and the song needs to be a bit sharper sounding for it to cut through. And you start realizing, okay, that didn't work. Mm. I won't do it on that style song. And then after a while, you do get a grasp you know, on, on certain mm. things. But I think I'm very lucky to have all these plugins and technology and be so exposed to it every day. Whereas I think maybe growing up in, you know, maybe when I was younger, you, you know, you, you would have experienced those hardware units in the studio, but you wouldn't mm. be able to every day, maybe load up four new hardware replicas and try it out and then compare them, maybe them, you know, very quickly. So I guess that's a benefit, you know, it's the, you know, having all of that in a laptop, really. There's one thing that, 
Adam mentioned on, in the last chat, I think, which is what is still universal, no matter well anything. Basically, is just you need to learn how to listen. Mm. So it doesn't matter if it's a plugin or if it's whatever you're using. If it sounds good, then you're on the right path. If it sounds the way you want it to sound, right? So that's again something that I think is uh, you. You can come to this kind of conclusions on your own, but it brings value when Adam tells you this, right? Because you can trust him, and this is the bond, the relationship. Relationships only work when there is. Uh, trust involved, mm. right? So m- maybe one of the final questions. Um, Adam is obviously making a living being an audio engineer. Lawrence, you're on that path, right? So, what do you think is needed in order to survive in this, you know, messy music industry to make a living being an audio producer or artist or whatever? It's tough. So, what are your suggestions or advices or maybe? one or two steps that you see that, uh, you know, a, a student would need to do to take in order to get far enough to actually do that for a living and hopefully enjoy it. For, for me? Let's start with you, Adam. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, the, uh, I think the most important steps, uh, um, realizing no one's going to come and knock on your door. No one's going to knock on the door and go, here's this fantastic opportunity that will serve you for the rest of your life. You know, every moment you have to create, which means you have to network. Um, If you're starting out, you've got to go out and find bands. Don't expect that you're going to get paid at the beginning, which if you do things right, what you will get paid further down the journey. At the moment, you at the beginning, you just need to be working and you need to be seen to be working. And I always use the analogy is you don't want to be a player sitting on the bench that no one can ever see what they can do. You want to be on the court. So you've got to behave honorably. You've got to constantly educate yourselves. Um, Be the kind of person that people are going to enjoy working with. You have to win the trust of people. You can't say, trust me. If someone says, trust me, normally I'll walk out the room. So you have to earn, you have to earn that trust. Um, you can only do that by getting experience. You can only get experience by working. You can only be working if you're inventive and you're going out and you're finding artists and you're doing, you know, nice deals you're offering to do to mix a song. But the big thing, the big thing is don't expect to start where you want to be at the end. A- anyone that has, that is currently successful and has managed to last a period of time has done so for all those above reasons. Um, and I mean that also for yourself, change things up, do different things, learn. Music shouldn't be a factory production line where you just do the same thing, same thing. Experiment. The more the more education you get, the more aware you are of using your tools, whether they're plugins or hardware, um, the richer your knowledge base will be. So experiment. You can always have your safe go-to place that you can drop back to if what you're trying isn't the right route. But you have to constantly keep educating yourself. And I mean, Lawrence is an educator too. And I'm, I, I think it's just wonderful to be passing on and seeing Lawrence doing exactly the same thing because he has those uh, personal traits. So what were your main two or three th- steps that you did in order to, you know, make it this far, Lawrence? 
Okay. Um, I think part of it is potentially um, building up a, a reputation. So um, everything Adam said, I think I totally agree with. And I think um, to add any more points to that would be building up some sort of reputation for a thing, being the go-to person for that thing. You know, obviously in audio, you can do lots of different things. You could be in film, you could be in, um, you could be mixing, mastering, or just engineering, or you could be making music or be vocal tuning, being the go-to vocal tuning person. But wherever your, you know, um, reputation is, whether, and that's having good relationships with people included, um, I think that will help you a lot. So people see you as that person and know to go to you for, as that person because you're the, the best at that thing, you know. So I think partly that's it. Um, and I, I built up a bit of a re- um, reputation as a mastering engineer, um, which I'm, I'm pretty much entirely self-taught with that. Um, and that's been from doing it quite a lot and working with bands and artists and doing that for them and then it's a bit of word of mouth it takes a while I haven't really spent money on marketing myself and all of that so but um I really enjoy that process and have put a lot of time into it and um have been trying to make it work you know through doing that so um I think that's that's what I'd probably say about that just just keep going and uh, expose yourself in mm. in, the, in a not a rude way yeah but just ex- expose yourself <laughs> online <laughs> and um show people that you're that person you know you're the person they want to work with and want to um yeah exactly you're a business at the end of the day you know you want mm. you want the reputation and yeah um, i think you've got to see yourself as a business if you want if you want business basically absolutely yeah, yeah. adam lawrence thank you very much for joining me in this uh all a chat podcast Uh, which will be distributed by the Headliner magazine. Uh, so you'll see it on all major platforms and also on YouTube with the video as well. So we can also see the beautiful, what are those? Uh, the barefoot speakers, I guess. You both yeah. guys are running the same gear. Yeah, yeah I blame Adam. <laughs> yeah. This is part <laughs> of the problem. <laughs> I may got the same headphones as well. <laughs> which, yeah, of course. Yeah, there, yeah. There, 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 there's a, we we have a there's a few similar things we have in our rooms. He's but, inspired but, my life. But, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and and your choice of beaners, yeah. Yeah, and I've, so I've tried to grow my hair out and everything. I've, I just want to be Adam, really. That's it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, guys. Thank you very much. Until the next time. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Headliner Radio, the creative voice. <laughs>